0: Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I feel like that might be the most positive thing that you hear in the next two hours.
1: It's hamster with a blunt pen knife and guest with a very sharp
0: tongue. (laughs) I am here with, yeah, honestly. I mean, now you're starting to dominate my schedules. It's a wonderful thing. I found this hello, glorious hello. voice in Mr. James H. Hello, I feel, James.
1: Very, I, I feel very, very kind of. I, I feel like you're building me up and I'm just waiting for this kind of cl- crash kind of thing. Anyway, good afternoon. Yeah, it, it hasn't happened
0: me. yet. You know, <laughs> you've. And now the next one I am bringing out of yours is actually your debut, and that is. Six fabulous episodes on the wheel in space Interestingly, I was going to comment on those during this Okay, well Because
1: there's, there's yeah I'll get I'll get to that when I get to it um, what, But today, rather, big... rather than season six We are doing a series six
0: God, that's going to confuse the hell out of me Oh, really. series well, season five Hmm? I thought wheel in space was season five Oh god it is isn't it <laughs> Yeah I just god, we mean to go on right? yeah Yes we
1: we are we're about to do an episode where fact and logic and common sense um mean nothing mean nothing but then again they haven't for a long time
0: now, oh I know what you're talking about the whole of new who here Um
1: more actually uh, right I'm afraid to say but I say this is not going to be the the more glowing ones that I do. Um, it's essentially the Stephen Moffat era, um, Russell C. Davies era. I absolutely loved. Um, I bawled my eyes out regularly. Um, the Stephen Moffat era, I usually cheered when the companions left. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Me too.
1: Yeah. Um, and series five was the series that turned me from a fan of the TV show into a viewer of the TV show.
0: Oh, wow. Five, really? Because that's that's usually considered some people's favourite of the new series. <clears throat> uh, C-
1: series six um, nearly turned me away from the TV show. I think it was only the promise of a new companion in series seven that kind of
0: kept you going. Kept me going, yeah. Um, well, okay. You know, Series C. First of all, we're talking about The Wedding of Riversol. And um, I'm going to be up front and say, for me, and people think I'm crazy, this is the nadir of the new series. This is my least favourite episode, and I will explain why. I know you're not a fan of this as well. I can't decide
1: if it's my least favourite, or if there's an awful lot which get that title. Because my problem with Stephen Moffat's era is clearly his brain works in one way clearly my brain works in another way and for me what he has written is not Doctor Who um you know you've got four by this time you got 40 40 uh 48 years or something of history behind and it's just like he's he, he's done almost like um, what Netflix is doing with Foundation. They've taken the title Foundation and then written something completely different,
0: with occasional references to character names and stuff like that. Um, What's your objection then? Why isn't this Doctor Who? Okay, um,
1: I think the best example is from the Demons. I mean, it's not Demons is not a story that I particularly like, but the Demons makes it clear that kind of basically kind of magic is bullshit. You know, um, that there is scientific explanations for everything. Um, and although the classic series and RTD does play fast and loose with facts and continuity, Moffat just puts it all in a skip and has it taken away. Um, you know, you've got the Aztecs, you can't change even a single line. Reign of Terror, you know, barbara says, Oh, what happens if we left a note from Napoleon? Oh, it would have got lost, someone you know. Um, The Time Meddler and Space Museum confuse things a bit, but there's generally this big thing through the whole of the classic era that time is flexible, and uh, Ian Marta actually rewords the dialogue from Reign of Terror in the Target book, and he says it's the mainstream of time remains the same. So basically, if you're not important, if you're not relevant, you can live as much as you like, and the doctor can save you. If you're Napoleon Bonaparte, you're doomed. Um, you then get the era of the Virgin books, which again, they say that time can be changed, but it you know it gets changed back. You know the whole you know, you've got the um, Exodus where it's the time worm that's changed it, and God-like time lords or war chief and so on. Um, you then get the alternate universe cycle where time has changed, you know, blood heat and all that lot. But again, it's this big powerful knowing entity thing that has changed it controlled by the monk. So again, time lords. Um you then get the TV
0: movie with temporal orbits, and we're gonna move very swiftly on from that one. Um <laughs> But hang on, if if you're saying these things are all flexible in classic series. Yeah and in the books and all of this. So what's different from that to this?
1: Uh I'll give you the line and it is the line from it's from it's, it's basically it's Let's Kill Hitler it's the second part of <sighs> <ugh>. yeah yes <laughs> yeah. Um you know he has and always will die at Lake Silencio, you know. This idea of fixed points. Now I'll try Russell T. Davis introduced the term fixed points, but he introduced it to refer to Captain Jack, this kind of fixed point in the universe. In other words, it's always there. Mm. Not the kind of, you know, Captain Jack can never change or anything, it's just that Captain Jack is always there. Um, and then suddenly we've got in Let's Kill Hitler, this, oh, we know the date and time and location of the Doctor's death. You know, same as in the 11th hour, Prisoner Zero seemed to know that the Pandora would open and then Silence would fall even though Silence fell in a totally different
0: universe to the one that we were in in the 11th hour I mean I rather think a lot of this stuff The Doctor's death, Silence will fall it's all trailer fuel it's all clickbait, it's all how yeah, can we entice the audience tough. and I don't think he really gives a shit about tying it all up and no. satisfyingly and is, concluding the
1: it in Big Thingish, uh, in a lot of the books, you've got people like Jonathan Morris who go to great pains to write these wonderfully intricate, perfectly plotted things where, yeah, they're all over the place in different time zones and everything because they've had some kind of event at the I mean, um, Your first book club, one, Festival of Death is the perfect example of this the doctor turns out and fi- turns up and finds out that he's just died you know and then the whole of the rest of the book is putting together all of the events that lead up to it but then giving the doctor an out but still making people think he's
0: died so is your big objection then that he doesn't think any of this through
1: yes there is zero thinking through of this um to the extent where, and we'll talk about this briefly after the episode, he even, or he, the production team, the BBC or whatever, end up rewriting parts of this episode in their I reference didn't... books. I didn't know that. No, and neither did I till today, when I got so fed up that I actually ended up looking something up and my brain went, "Ah, oh? <laughs> what? The production team rewrote sec- sections of this episode? um we'll get to that afterwards because they kind of it's hey, yeah it's because i say at the end of the episode i have got a very specific question which i want to know your answer to and that will be the one where kind of it's like you might be surprised at
0: the actual answer all right Um, then i want to turn your attention towards series six Okay, so we've That's done a... 40, we've done forty eight years
1: now. Let's do the <laughs> um, series six is a total clusterfuck. Um, it is a mess. So, Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon. We've got this wonderful scenario where we see the Doctor oh, shot and regenerating. Except, of course, they put that in the pre publicity because Moffat can't resist putting all the spoilers in the pre publicity. Um, <laughs> The key thing is, you get um, what you, you get. River Song, sorry, because I'm a bitch about River Song as well in a minute. Um, you get River Song saying that basic, coming kind of, you know, there are entities that would tear the Earth apart for a single cell of the Time Lord, you know, because he's a lot of Time Lords, which is why you've got that big funeral pyre scene out to see the Viking ship and everything, where presumably they intend the body is kind of burnt to cinders
0: and everything like that. Um, we oh, learned... I, it's just a robot, so it don't matter.
1: Well, yeah, I, we'll get to that at the end of this episode because it's kind of like what, um, you know, the silence have been there for centuries. They're all around us. Um, at the end of it, yes, the, the you know the Doctor does that very cliche thing of using a recording of the silence, putting it out as part of a broadcast. Um, which did lead me to ask the question: what the hell happened to all the dead bodies of all the silence? <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> it's the same question I ask at the end of Heaven Sent, when all yeah. those bodies have come to life as Cybermen, you know, have been blown up, yeah. all the bits. Um, the du- You mean Dark Water, by the way? Yeah, that's. Not- oh, no, what did I say? I meant Death in Heaven, sorry, not Heaven Sent.
1: <laughs> Heaven. Yeah. There
0: right. There's lots um, of heavens and hells in the Moffat era. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the hell is the viewers, right? The key is. The key thing is, though, at the end of Day of the Moon, the little girl regenerates. Yeah. So it's approximately December-ish in 1969. Somehow she survived on the streets for six months and she regenerates. Um, Curse of the Black Spot, you then get the doctor basically leaving cell samples all over the place, despite what Riversong said about tearing the earth apart to find a single spot. Um... Oops. Most people and uh, whatever the other half. Of it, I've only got the most people. from. Oh, God.
0: the rebel flesh and the almost flesh. Oh, people. rebel flesh, yeah. as oh, um, ghastly as this. Which basically
1: gets very confusing because at the end of it, um, it turns out that Amy's clothes were also made of flesh, which means that either you can, or as the story says, you can seemingly remove bits of flesh and other people can wear it. Because, of course, the Doctor takes the ganger's shoes off and then wears them. So, does his shoes dissolve when he dissolves, Amy? Um, yeah, no one's thinking that for a either, are they? <laughs> um, or, if the clothes are part of the flesh, does this mean Rory hasn't had sex for six months? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm more appalled, you know, by the fact that the Doctor's been spending a whole episode standing up for ganger's rights and then murders a ganger in the final scene. Very strange.
1: Right. Okay. We then take the season break the half half point season break which i'm with let's kill hitler the gloriously fucking awful bad taste um where suddenly we find that young Mel's is this is at school with amy mm-hmm. but amy is only kind of you know in her 20s or whatever so presumably those scenes take place in about 1998 1999 kind of thing so where the hell has this regenerating little girl been between 1969 and 1999, and why isn't she 30 years old by now?
0: Don't, don't you give big Finnish ideas, all right? They've already and done pro- 13 River Song boxes. And,
1: and more importantly, how did some girl lost on the streets of New York end up as a young girl in a British school?
0: Yeah, well, he don't think about this stuff. He, what he does is he expects us to not to ask. Her. It's exactly what he did with Clara when she went from being a nanny to being a teacher. You uh, don't, you don't ask what happened in between. Yeah. You don't expect that it's happened.
1: Um. And in Let's Kill Hitler, we find out that Melody Pond is the woman who killed the Doctor. Okay, That is stated, uh, as we'll find out in the coming... It has to be skipped
0: over A Good Man Goes to War, you know. Yeah, with reason. Oh, okay. Go on. It's shit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's where we learn it's Amy's daughter.
1: Yes, uh, yeah. Um, Yes, and the whole thing about if you have sex in the TARDIS, you give birth to... uh, um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> and more importantly, as I said earlier, Let's Kill Hitler is where we get the mention of the fixed point, where we learn from the test selectors' database the date and time of the doctor's death. Mm-hmm. And then we go through a few mediocre stories. And then at the end of closing time, which is where we're going to pick this up we've got the kind of, we've got the Stetson in place, we get the blue TARDIS envelopes, and more importantly, we get the Doctor caressing the, the police box going, one last trip. <laughs> um, And we're about to throw
0: all of this out the window. Is it that it's too ambitious? Um, It's
1: basically written by someone who isn't going back and checking their work it's like the first draft of a story arc that he's just thrown in onto the page without actually kind of checking that the details he puts in in the later episodes tie in with the ones in the earlier episodes because bearing in mind as well that kind of going back to various things you know In the Space Museum, uh, we saw a timeline where the Doctor was dead and frozen in a cabinet. Um, In Pyramids of Mars, we saw a 1980 where the Earth was absolutely ravaged. You know, we blew the universe up in the Big Bang. Rory's been written out of time and killed countless number of times. Yet none of these seem to have had any impact on this fixed point where the Doctor absolutely definitely does die, you know, um, and basically, the the and the, I'm going to justify this when we get onto the actual episode. Stephen Moffat is coming across as being to Doctor Who as to what Boris Johnson was to government. Oh my God! The He's what? promising shitloads and delivering absolutely bugger all of it.
0: You know what? I and I get that now. And i say that yeah, I don't know if you listen to any of my previous Stephen Moffat episodes, but that's what I always say. It's all promise hmm. and very little delivery.
1: And then he goes back and says, Oh no, I never said that. I said this instead. Yeah, you know, it's like, no. <laughs> um, and we've got so many examples of that coming up in the Wedding of Riversong. We've also got pure Doctor Who, where he's come up with a nice trendy phrase, Miss Johnson, um, you know which is absolutely meaningless. Um, and I know Brexit hadn't even been dreamed of at this time, but quite frankly, this is the Brexiteers' wet dream of a Doctor Who story. Go on. We'll get to that in a minute, because it's, it, you know, it's actually an important one of my comments for the... I knew
0: this was going to be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'll tell you all right. I watched... I told you this off mic. I watched 15 minutes of The Wedding of River Song this morning, I was going to watch the entire thing. I always do before. It's the only time I've not been able to get through the episode. And I said to you, it is like written by someone with attention deficit disorder. Yeah. You cannot have a prolonged scene between two characters in this. There, and and you know, and, and I think I think it's selfish as well because he does this a lot. Where he 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 comes in, <laughs> and he does a pre titles where there's like fifteen scenes in fifteen locations, and he suck the budget. It's why we've got episodes like The God Complex, Closing Time in a Department yeah. Store, things like this, because there's no money for anything else, because he wants to grandstand. Um, and clear enough, he's the showrunner. He can. It's, I th- with this one, more
1: than anything, I think he's using the visuals to distract you from thinking about what's actually being said and what's actually going on.
0: But because there was so many ideas... In each episode, so many diversions, and we're going to so many characters. James, I'll stop taking it in. Yeah. My brain just said, There's there's just there's too much being juggled up here. Just stop and just look at the pretty pictures. And I'm yeah. wondering, you know, if he's if he's trying to beat my intelligence into submission. It does feel like that, it really does. Um, I heard him say in the girl in the fireplace commentary, um, that you have to every minute or so you have to divert your audience otherwise they're going to turn over to another channel and i think that is the wrong way to yeah, make it. absolutely trust I, your we, audience trust 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 them to watch something like midnight with a 20 minute scene in the middle yeah. of it i know? mean you look at the history of television basically
1: you've got things like i claudius you've got you know Shakespearean stuff on TV you got loads of complicated two hour long murder mysteries and no Stephen Moffat thinks that the audience is a fish and apologies to any goldfish that I've just insulted <laughs> um, because basically he, he 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 is terrified of people thinking about what is going on um and I'm afraid to say that yeah um it's just when even more so because i'm not saying that rtd was perfect and god only knows the classic series and big finish and all the books have been all over the place but at least within kind of like the books there's been some consistency about how time can be changed and the catastrophic events and stuff like that and then yeah we get to this episode
0: and, you know, like, I've done enough of these with you now to know that you are somebody that, I don't want to say the word obsess, but will study the detail of a story if it's something that you like. And I'm now getting I'm going to let you in on you don't like. You have tried to figure out why you don't like it. I'm
1: going to let you in on something that um, was said to me in therapy because, uh, you know, I have a, I have a psychiatric disorder. Uh, I've mentioned it loads of times on Twitter in the past. I kind of stopped talking about it a bit these days. Uh, I've got something called body dysmorphic disorder. Um, and it's about the way I perceive my body and how people see me and stuff like that. But in the middle of one of my counselling sessions for it, the, the therapist said, oh, by the way, do you notice all the continuity errors and discrepancies when you're watching TV shows and everything? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, that's really common amongst people with certain mindsets. And the problem is, once you've got this mindset, trying to get out of it is virtually impossible. RTD manages it because he creates really lovely companions. He treats the audience like adults. And as you say, Midnight is an incredibly grown up,
0: terrifying, claustrophobic story. I think he knows how to make you feel as well. And that does sometimes cut through some of the logic. Yeah. If, if, if If you are emoting when you're watching. Precisely.
1: And unfortunately... Not that doesn't make me emote well, not in the way that Rati did. <laughs> right. so he can
0: make me emote, but with far less frequency and far less potency as well. Mm. Um, and it sometimes it surprises me when he does actually, as it is. I don't sometimes it's not in moments I think he's intending to. Well, look, you know, we've clearly got a lot to unpick here. We should probably head into the episode and see what the wedding of River Song, another clickbait title. I'm. I'm so quarter. tempted
1: to do the countdown as 5.02, 5.02,
0: 5.02.
1: <laughs>
0: well, it's all yours. Just do it five times, and then I'll
1: press play. No, 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 I'll, but... I'll, I'll give you. The, I'll give you a proper countdown because I'm not going to stoop to that level. So, on the count of three, two, one. Off oh, we go. Right now, I'm going to refer back to one of your previous podcasts with the with Toby Haydock, mm-hmm. with the um it was the one released recently, the story's forgotten, but he talks a lot about kind of how much to give away in the previously on kind of bit. Um, And they make such a big deal of the test selector in this pre credit. I remember before the episode was shown, I was basically flipping a coin. Is it going to be the flesh doctor from the Rebel Flesh? Or is it going to be the test selector? And then in all the bloody previously on, it's all the test selector. Like, oh, that's what it is then. You know, basically, he's given away the ending within the first 30 seconds of the episode.
0: Are we supposed to know that, though? Do you think, Do you think like, he's got something else up his sleeve for the finale that, that is so obvious it's going to be that? My,
1: my problem is that he is the world's worst murder mystery writer. Oh, I'll get back to that during the title sequence, because I want to comment on this. We later find out that the whole of history is happening at once. Mm. No, the whole of history isn't happening at once. And more importantly, total common sense has gone out the window. You've got roads in London. Where the fuck would you hang cars from balloons? That makes no sense whatsoever. It's a pretty picture, as you said. It's trying to divert you. It's trying to distract you. It's like, well, no, that makes no sense.
0: (gasps) Um, We're not on it long enough to think about it. Are we really?
1: Then they show it again later on. You know, they show it again at the end. I know you haven't got to the end before, but I um, just think this is lazy shorthand
0: yeah. for all time. Um,
1: yeah. Now, so we've had dinosaurs, we've got Romans, we've got, oh, War of the Roses. Right, War of the Roses enters second year. That's going to come up in a minute. We've got Shakespeare, we've got Churchill coming up. Basically, we've got all the things from the Brexit big book of boys' history. Yes. You know, we haven't got any of the shitty stuff. Where's the Blitz? Where's no. slavery? Where's the Vikings raping and pillaging people? We haven't got any of the nasty, awkward little bits of history. We've got the, there are the still
0: kids watching, you know, James. We can't we can't be too appalling. Right. And
1: first massive objection to the Moffat era is Winston Churchill. Oh, um,
0: don't get me right. started. Go on. I've, I've had my say.
1: Yeah, he is an incredibly morally dubious character. Mm. He is not the jolly fat wobbly chin bloke that yeah. You go back to the beast below and you can see the kind of they've got this 50s, 60s fetish going on because they've turned all of the UK ship into a 1960s tribute. Seriously, the Moffat and to some extent Gaetists who introduced Churchill are Brexiteers because they are insisting on this kind of glorified British history. Um, the other problem I've got is, of course, that in Victory of the Daleks, we learn that Churchill has been a friend of the Doctor for a very long time, which makes no sense in the context of any
0: of the previous 47 years. Right. He'll cuddle up to, to Winston Churchill, but he won't give Danny Pink a second look. Yeah.
1: You know? um, I the, this idea. oh, it's always 502. Mm, afternoon or evening it's always 5 or 2 it's the same date april the 20 oh, hold on if it's the same date how do you know that the war of the roses has been going on for 2 years oh, how yeah. can you have afternoon and night I didn't even think of that if it's always 5 or 02 what he's done what the plagiarist in chief has done is he's taken that ridiculous sorry big thing is your ridiculous alternate divergent universe where time doesn't happen Mm. And he said, oh, I'm going to have one. My... Time happens all at once because I'm going to do one up on Big Finish."
0: And, and do you just... know what? I don't think it works in either direction. I, don't, I think okay. they struggled in the Divergent Universe, and he certainly fucking struggles. So, do you know what else he does in this as well? Is Churchill says, it's the thing I hate in science fiction. He says a ton of stuff to the Doctor that mm. they both already know no. to deliver yeah. it to the audience. Um, you don't have... I'm not having a conversation with you now about stuff you already know. So
1: in the closing time, we had, oh, one last trip. So now we've got this great long travel log of the Doctor doing shed loads of <laughs> one last trip. Why the hell doesn't he just put the Stetson in the TARDIS wardrobe and go off somewhere? It was the scenic route. All right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if he's so pally with Winston Churchill, when Rory and Amy are sent back to 1930s America, why doesn't he just get on the phone to Winnie? He asked him to shift them out to England and he could collect them from there.
0: A good point. If he's something yeah. with Winston Churchill, you know, why isn't he pally with the Daleks? They could all be all a bunch of racists together.
1: Yeah. Um, but no, as I kind of, they've introduced Churchill as this jolly, fat, wobbly person, one of these people who can remember alternate timelines. And it's like, no. Um, and we won't even go into the whole alternate what is and isn't remembered with that horrible crack plot line. Most science fiction series do the big, glowing crack thing as a one episode story. Moffat that made it a thirteen-week disaster. Um, right. Okay. So we've now got. Oh, look, we're repeating what we had in Good Man
0: Goes to War. War, where we get the flashback to all the recent characters. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. You know? Well, no! This, I mean, this fella's not, and even Mark Gatiss in a the minute. These are all new characters. Yeah, but say,
1: but this is the test selector. This is yet again reminding us that we've oh, got yeah, a shape-changing robot on our hands.
0: Of course, it is. Well, and uh, you know, all of that, what we've had Churchill and the Silurian, and it is yep. literally all shorthand of old characters that we've had before. But you're right, he does do that a lot. And yeah. it's the law of diminishing returns.
1: Um, yes. Which we're about to get
0: big time with Irish Wild Time. Sorry, Riversong. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I wish it was Irish Wild.
1: It is. Gold. Basically, whilst they're waffling, um, in Science in the Library, River song started out as Bernice Summerfield and then when Moffat took over he basically rewrote her as Iris Wildtime, mixed in with the plot twist from the Big Finish release the game where the fifth doctor meets Lord Carlisle at the very end of Lord Carlisle's life when he's known the doctor all his life but the doctor hasn't met him yet so basically kind of he's he's nicked that plot line from Big Finish I think he was that. paying
0: attention to any of that stuff.
1: Um, he's nicked this from bloody Blake 7 for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah. Oh, of course it is. Speed Chess. Um, it's Deep Roy isn't it?
1: Yes. <laughs> Mark Gatiss because of course Stephen yeah, Moffat Mark. is inca- is incapable
0: of doing anything without Mark Gatiss. How many Laura's Miles books do you think he read before he wrote Name of the Doctor? Um, <laughs> probably
1: about the same number that I made it through in one go. Okay, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I not did. That, um, when we get to the book club, I'll talk about him. <laughs> but yeah, in Moffat, I, I do object to kind of him bringing Mark Gatiss into everything. I think he was one of the he was one of the worst things about Twice Upon a Time, and that's saying something. What his performance?
0: Yeah, I do not rate Mark
1: Gatiss as an actor whatsoever.
0: Oh, see, I, I quite rate him as an actor. I don't really rate him as a writer oh, of he's the a writer.
1: You, you look at where he co- basically moffat keeps Gatiss on as a, as a writer to ensure that moffat doesn't come last in the DWM season polls. Oh,
0: <laughs> 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 you bitch. Uh,
1: victory of the Daleks, sleep no more. Yeah, and okay, um, that's
0: a And actually, that poll they've just done, they were all at the bottom, weren't they? Yep. Um, yeah. Um, so we're now into this realm of kind of oh, magic Indiana Jones heads they yeah, these weird headless skulls from the headless monks, isn't it? Yes, who are still
1: sentient and active. Um,
0: yeah, it's magic again, isn't it? He does like a bit of magic. I mean, that whole headless monk thing was just what the fuck was that all about? No, it was too many weird. Things.
1: They cut the heads off so that they aren't capable of thought. Um.
0: <laughs> um, um <laughs> anyway, and Shall we bring... try it? <laughs> yes, please. Oh, and now we bring back Dorium. Um, oh yeah. my god now this is one character I find intolerable and a bit at the end of this episode where he starts screaming out doctor who oh. that's
1: the worst part of the new series yeah, for me because he does that to stop you thinking about something he said just before
0: it oh what's that oh, oh. We'll, we'll get here yeah. um oh yes was... I mean that's a bit ghoulish all those skulls it eating that man
1: the skulls kind of are just wobbling their jaws they're not actually seemingly doing anything um I just don't think Dorian Valdivore is very funny. No. Um, and this whole head in the box thing is just so overdone and all the jokes about the Wi-Fi and everything. And <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Moffat basically um he's an he's a reasonably good sitcom writer. I mean, coupling was a good
0: sitcom. Oh see, very, I very that, dated. So but it's smug. I found that smug but,
1: Yes, smug is the four letter word that encompasses the whole of the Moffat era.
0: Do you know um, the only thing I've seen of his that I I didn't find intolerably smug was press gang. Yeah. Because he hasn't I still been, think it's his finest achievement. Because the cult of Moffat hadn't built up by that stage. You start believing in yourself and then yeah. you're handed a show where you yeah. can go anywhere and oh, do By anything. the way,
1: if it's 502 all the time, how's the doctor got a beard? Well, I mean, clearly time is running. Yeah, um, but but so all of history is happening at once. Um, by the way, if all of history is happening at once, why why isn't Adric coming in?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. But if all of history is happening at once, shouldn't it just be just a still image? Right. And he even says
1: it's like a, ra- a needle stuck in a groove. No, if it's a needle stuck in a groove, you get the f- you get that one revolution, over and over
0: and over. I would not make for a particularly gripping hour of television.
1: Well, except later on we find out that apparently everything is progressing normally for the rest of the universe it's like how yeah (laughs) he's just making it up james (laughs) Yeah, yeah basically kind of he's got he's got his boris johnson catchphrase of all of time happening at once you know and he doesn't have anything to back it up with oh by the way the boris johnson thing does continue because fairly soon we get into the kind of the pop star era where he buggers off every few years to do a big tour of the world with his entourage. Yes,
0: yeah, he <laughs> does. Yeah, I never really thought of, of that analogy before, but now yeah. I won't ever be able to forget yeah. it.
1: And I'm sorry to any Boris Johnson fans out there who have insulted by calling him Stephen Moffat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought I was mean. That's just, this whole
1: head-in-a-box thing, the sentient moving skulls, um, you know what's weird
0: is this is where the story has slowed down now. This yeah, scene of these dancing skulls down. and a man with his head in a box. Um, It's just kind of
1: like oh, you're terrible terrible jokes. I mean, they're not even good jokes.
0: Right. Um, And he can write good jokes. Yes, he can. I don't think yeah, they land half the time, but mm. he can write good jokes. Can I
1: just say, by the way,
0: that I absolutely detest this console room um yeah
1: the 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 thing that always bugged me about it it was you know at the start of the 11th hour the old console room is destroyed and everything and basically the TARDIS kind of regrows itself why does it regrow itself in this wacky earth-based typewriter hot and cold tap way why doesn't it regrow itself back into something that looks
0: like an actual functioning alien console and it is something that oh, oh, I, I mean. I really like the next one because yes. that feel more functional. Uh, mm. But then you head into Whitaker's era. and I, I I like the atmospherics of that one. But again, like it's it. salt lamps and
1: it's very. I like it. I like it because it actually looks alien. Mm. But this it have a custard cream dispenser. But it has a food dispenser. It's a throwback to David Whitaker's era. Anyway, um, yeah. You know, so we've got kind of this this, this lovely chummy relationship, which. We don't ever really get again, do we?
0: What? Uh, With Winston Churchill? Nah, he's think we're back again.
1: He, he gets palmed off onto Big Finish, which I thought was absolutely bloody d- abysmal decision. <laughs> um, Sorry, Big Finish. Those two are two box sets that you really shouldn't...
0: <laughs> I'm say, I do really like Ian McNeese. Like, I'm oh, yeah. a great actor. He's, this and he not... was so proud to be part of this. Yeah. But it's
1: just... all oh, right. Okay. We've now got... Oh, we've got the whole memory loss thing again. Um, with the silence, and it's just kind of like you know, forgetting that they've seen um Which, it's in some ways, it's a, a good idea, but I'm just thinking, kind of like, has that crossed in the line, crossed the line from science fiction into science fantasy, sort of thing. There's a, there's a really big blurring in this era more than any other about science fiction science fantasy which actually kind of puzzles me because if you wanted an era which was all fairy tale and ethereal and fantasy based why do you have a hardcore disco tits version of the theme music you know why why don't you have an ethereal spooky fairy tale version of the theme music again it's just kind of like you know he's commissioned it but not thought about how it ties in with the tone of the show I
0: don't like oh. show where, where you can have the companion at the end of the season willing the Doctor back into existence. That's the sort of magic I just can't get behind. I I, 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 I hate that two-part. People tell me that's a beautiful moment. No, it's not. And, it's and shit. They're in tears watching it because she, she, she's claimed her fairy uh, her childhood character and that's People claiming, you know, yeah. Doctor Who from their childhood again and all of this. And I'm just like, yeah, but that made no sense. And, um,
1: this bit I thought was very bad taste with the death of the brigadier. I did not like this. Oh,
0: well, I mean, we've barely begun in destroying Nicholas Courtney's memory, have we?
1: Oh, I would say kind of, you know, and then bringing him back as the cyber brig.
0: Um, uh, or... <laughs> and then giving him the dullest daughter ever known to mankind. Yeah. The, um... the poor brig. He should have. Yeah. He should have just made an appearance, you know, while he could have. Yeah, I mean, it's very telling that yeah,
1: there was a lot from, from memory. There was a lot of backlash against this scene, and I do wonder if Stephen Moffat thought, oh, I'll I'll, I'll bring the brig back as a as a robot.
0: And it's just like No, he I think he digs his he doubles down. He he doesn't say he doesn't apologize. If if he's done something and there's a bad reaction, <laughs> he does it again, but worse.
1: Point Mark Gatiss. Um right, okay, so. <laughs> so we've got this kind of oh, we've now got the whole uh the the, the blue envelopes and everything.
0: Do you do um, know what? The one thing I did like about the impossible astronaut, and I didn't like that at all but the yeah. one thing i did like was when he invited himself to his own death that was one moment where i was like that's quite funny yeah i actually i mean the, the sad thing
1: is as a as a science fiction thing impossible astronaut and day of the moon if it was a single movie without episodes after it without ramifications without everything like that it actually is really good but the problem is it's part of a series and the series doesn't ever really
0: gel with itself. You know, I said that I think if I wouldn't want to watch it because I don't like the episodes but if there was like six episodes like The Flux if this was a condensed season Yes. Maybe because all those individual episodes those standalones mm. with just oh, bits thrown in they don't make a bit of sense in context.
1: No. no. Um. So yeah we've got all the flashbacks because Moffat can't be bothered to write a full episode you know you gotta remember also up until now the season finales had basically always been like an hour long Mm. this is the first season finale that isn't a two-parter and is 45 minutes
0: and and it's doing a lot of heavy lifting for this season as well yeah you'd think this would be like a two-parter wouldn't you yeah
1: oh yeah, So Here say, she
0: is River Song. River Song, who basically
1: every single line either has to be some sassy quip or an overwrought declaration of love
0: for the Doctor. It she does annoy one, me that she is supposed to be this independent. She, she is lady.
1: one. She is one level of emoting away from becoming a bloody drag queen. She mm. is that sort of character. Everything has to be a one-liner. Everything has to be overwrought emotion. She basically almost like lip syncs some of her love for the Doctor.
0: They um they did do um the Bechdel test on the eras yeah Smith era scored by some margin the worst of the new series I Um, think Goldie's era did pretty well but we'll we'll comment about the scoring
1: of the the Smith era in a minute because I've done some research into that as well oh wow okay yes the the world's worst murder mystery writer. Uh, chapter one, we find person standing over a dead body with a blood-soaked knife in their hand. And in Stephen Moffat's world, the twist at the end is the person actually did do it. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> obvious. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> I mean, there were no twists in the kind of the plot line of it. It was, all, I know, it went all over the place in terms of history, as in years, but it did seem an incredibly linear season without many twists and turns the only one which i thought was good was amy dissolving into flesh and if that had been the mid-season cliffhanger where you ended the season with the word push and you then had to wait four months to find out what the hell was going on that would have been amazing yeah, and yeah. then they started. with
0: Then they put a good man goes to war on. After it, okay. Um, and the annoying thing about that is, is I did guess the twist in the series in the scene before because they really stressed the Melody Pond name. Yeah, like Melody Pond Riverside. Um, oh, right. Quick comment. I fi-
1: when we're getting the flashbacks in long shot, it's clear they're on location. No, that
0: that is a, a that's a backdrop.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean it. It's like kind of why didn't they film this when they were on location?
0: i don't know but it is a. It, unfortunately now television is so sophisticated things like strange yeah. New Worlds, they can do this effortlessly but unfortunately... I'm, I'm watching this on my bloody android tablet and i can tell clearly that it's a freaking green screen backdrop they were not... in america why didn't they film it, it yeah no, no that's a good point i'm not going to be too tough on the visuals in this though no. Because I do think the money's on the screen for the most part. Uh,
1: yeah, and say, when we get to the end, we're going to fight over who gets that as one of their three good things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So we can then get that weird crashing of history, even though so many bloody times in, as I said at the start, in the 47 or 48 years leading up to this, we've seen timelines where the Doctor's dead, or we've seen timelines where kind of, you know, everything has gone to pot, and then, Yeah. For those 40 is there was always some kind of consistency to the way that time could be changed and how it worked once it had been changed. And Moffat has come along and said, oh, I'm in charge now. There were all these rules. I'll make everyone else stick to them, but I'm going to do what I like with them. Boris Johnson. Um, You know,
0: it's kind of... It's like, it's the objection I make to, you know, you brought up the Aztecs. We can't Hmm. rewrite history, not one line. And then you get something like A Christmas Carol, where the the fundamental premise of that is that he is going back and rewriting somebody's life.
1: And strangely, with A Christmas Carol, the ship that's about to crash into them doesn't realise that time has changed from memory. Hmm. Yeah, it's just like... (laughs) And the problem is, again, it would be fine... If at the start of series five, he had laid down the law about his version of what time travel and changing time could and couldn't do. He seems to have to lay down a new law every five minutes to justify what his own actions are, which again is anyway.
0: <laughs> do you wonder if because we know he was juggling two shows, do you wonder if his eye was just off the ball? Um, No, because actually series five, he had two years to create. And I'm going to do my
1: final parallel with Boris Johnson. Go on. <laughs> I can't wait. He's got his dream job. Doesn't know what to do with it. So he's copying what everyone else has done. You know, he's basically kind of... He's got no... He's got this... I, I'm the boss of Doctor Who. Um, Oh, I need characters. Oh, my God. I need this. I need that. I, Oh, I better have a modern-day character. I better... Give him a give her a, a boyfriend. I better basically kind of you know, and there's
0: I mean, I'd say season six, series six hasn't been done before. This sort of long, um, sort of dense arc, this hasn't been done before.
1: Oh, except in the EDAs and 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 oh,
0: uh, I mean, that's and fair, in, yeah. in 10
1: year arcs that Big
0: Finish did with the hex season and... two of Paul McGann and Big Finish. Two yeah. Paul McGann, it's just okay. like, all right, I, re- I retract that statement. Oh, look, here she is in the most meta joke ever, where we all turn around and we're wearing eye patches. Eye patches, yeah.
1: Amy Pond. Oh, by the way, just going back to the whole eye patch, when we learn that it's the only way that you can retain the information, um, in one of the previous stories, um, I can't remember which one it was, I made a note about it. They say that basically, I think it was the day of the moon. Even technology has the stuff erased from it. And it's
0: like, well, suddenly we've now got it that it's not erased from it. It's just like, oh. Well, I think the idea here is it's all time in YB, so everything you previously learned's out of the window. The, yeah. So um, it's making it up again. Yeah, basically,
1: I've, I've, I've. Um, there's there's one bit coming up which <laughs> I'm going to be very, very bitchy about, but about one person I'm never bitchy about. This is the only time I'm going to say this. Right, Amy's drawing of Rory. Yeah, there is only one place where there is a worse drawing of Rory, oh, no. and I, I swear, he paid the comic strip guys to give Rory biceps and muscles in the Chains <laughs> of Olympus, where he's in a toga and he's got these ultra-toned biceps.
0: <laughs> yeah, that ain't half a Darville, though, is it? No. And do you know what? I'm going to say I do really like Arthur Darvill and I do really like Rory. And I think that's the regular that works for me in this whole era.
1: Yeah, I miss Rory massively. Rory is a goofball. Rory is basically the comic relief with a heart of gold. He is Harry Sullivan. He is Christopher Quedge.
0: He is that. He Amy isn't the grounding for the audience. No, oh, I, is. I just couldn't buy into Amy Pond at all. Uh, but do you know what? I, I, I'm i going to say this. I've done a couple of these Stephen Moffat episodes in this era with uh, heterosexual men. I know unthinkable, right? But they love her because she's sassy and she's pretty and she's a bit morally dubious. And you know what? So I've a I, sex worker, I, a sex worker oh, maybe straight men like that. But I'm going to say there is an audience for her. Oh yeah, it's no, it's just no. not you and me. It's just not, and this, this is the problem. Um, Russell T. Davis knew
1: what the core audience was, and knew what the subsidiary audience was, and knew how to play to both of them. Yeah, indeed, he gave us lots of topless fit men on a
0: very regular basis, but a ton of beautiful women as well. Yeah, um, well, again, I love that. I do love that train going into the period. <laughs> I, I don't care about sense. the logic. It looks. No, like... <laughs> Oh, the United States <laughs> I
1: know. He's such a conservative, isn't he? Oh, and of course. Is he a Moffat... conservative, Moffat? I don't know. I don't care. Um, Russell T. Davis, the joke was all his secret bases were under English landmarks. So of course Moffat has to go for a world landmark instead. But it's the same thing. Well
0: it's, it's... Russell T. Davis wiped out 10% of the population, so Stephen Moffat had to destroy the entire universe. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically it's
1: almost like Moffat feels like he's in a dick measuring contest with Russell T. Davis. He's got to do everything that Russell T. Davis did, only one stage bigger and bolder and better.
0: But as anyone who's ever read a Dave Stone novel will know, that doing everything all at once to an extreme does not make a smooth read.
1: Yeah. Um, interesting, watch. interesting by the way uh, the visuals in this are very similar to the visuals in Dark Water and Death in Heaven of the creature suspended in the tank he's yeah. again got one visual idea which he again reuses
0: later on well he certainly recycles his the weird thing about him recycling his ideas is that I'm not sure he perfects them
1: no, he I think they
0: get worse as they go yeah. Russell T
1: Davis kind of picks something runs with it and makes it a joke between him and the audience. Everyone in all in all the seasons was waiting for the next London landmark to be destroyed. Yeah. Moffat doesn't have that kind of, or he never. I never had that relationship with Moffat's episodes, where I was thinking, right, oh he's done this is this, this year, this this year. How is he going to top it this year? It's just like, oh my god, he did this this year. Oh he's done it again this this.
0: Ugh. And I think Rusty Davis as well created a world that we could all buy in and that world existed from rose all the way through to the end of time i don't think moffat's doing the same thing he we're not coming back to the same characters. he's basically shaking it up every year we'll come back to that after the episode because i've got some notes
1: and some comments about the fallout from this and some other things
0: i mean it's just yeah I've, but I, I was always going to ask you at the end of this: Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Because yeah. I knew you wouldn't be able to do it within the episode itself.
1: No, I mean, there's just you know, it is. Um, yeah, I say it's just kind of it's, it's the British Museum again from the Pandora. Opens the Big Bang. It's you know, oh look, it's that close up of the clock, digital clock thing that we had about the the time code of the universe counting down to Amy's wedding. He's doing exactly
0: the same thing in just you know. Oh, look, here's half cancelled, but somehow still clinging on Francis Barber. Yeah. Um... The thing is, I do love a camp villain. So I think earlier in the season when she got to just sort of hiss a bit, I, I quite enjoyed her. But we didn't learn a fucking thing about her at all. No, I, um, she She's one
1: of the kind of the Tracy Ann Oberman type people. I don't like Yvonne Hartman from Torchwood because, again, I find her completely unrealistic and unrelatable, too. River Song, I... River Song in Big Finish, by the way, I think they do her so much better. Oh,
0: shit. She hasn't got all that smug-as-assholes arseholes dialog that's why.
1: And also, they throw out certain aspects of continuity, but bring in better things to replace it. And, the, you know... Hold on. And it's like, in... um, You know, when... When she first meets Tenant, she says, I've never seen you looking so young. Well, actually, kind of, Matt Smith looks a lot younger. Um, well, and- hang on, though. We didn't know what was coming then. No, like, I know. You like, know. Oh, magic time that somehow River Song and Matt Smith touching um, allows time to advance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Now, bearing in mind that last year we found out that you know, a room, full of ox- a room full of air from one universe could be used to recreate another universe. Um, biology basically says that there's going to be an awful lot of River Song floating around in the air from when she's breathed out, her hair follicles and everything. Matt Smith is going to have touched her by now. Um, it's just,
0: yeah. Yeah, he's making it up. I'm gonna yeah. keep saying it. Yeah. <laughs> it oh
1: um, oh yeah, let, let, let's guess. Let's see if we can guess what happens to the villains that are being kept in tanks of water.
0: They're gonna smash out mm-hmm. Earth Shock. Yes. Cybermen, we've been there before. <laughs> but you know what? That's that I think that's always pretty yeah, a good moment, isn't it? When monsters t- Oh,
1: yeah. And actually this bit with the water dripping is done pretty well. But that's because
0: he's not got ridiculous dialogue going on he's letting the picture actually build the suspense i just don't think you're ever going to get a better monster smashing through something than you did in rise of the sidemen when those sidemen crash the party because graham harper directs the shit out of that oh again there's you
1: know
0: there's there's cliche images but if you direct them well then yeah they're cliches for a reason I can see that smashing glass in my mind's eye. I'm starting to sound like Mary Whitehouse. Jesus. Just don't start to look like her. What is Magnum Kavarian's deal? Who is she? Where is she from? Why is she doing this? Why is she aligned herself with the silence? We've enough of her now that we should expect those answers.
1: Yeah. um, Silence zapping kind of electricity it's an interesting idea, but it's kind of, you know, they've got guns built into their hands, you know, it's not something that's been that's particularly new. Well, it's
0: basically the Daleks, isn't it? Yeah. It's um bolts. Oh, no, here we go. All the eye patches. Uh, sizzle sizzle.
1: Yeah. I mean basically she's just kind of like super villainess of the week sort of thing. She doesn't have um or not that I can remember, I don't remember any backstory really for her in uh, Good Man Goes to War, I don't remember, kind of, you know. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, oh, I mean, I can sort of buy the Doctor surviving this big, zappy, vaulty thing. But the oh, the effects will vary from person to person, depending upon what contract they've signed, and if they're a speaking character or a non-speaking extra. And That's playing it as every single female villainess has ever played.
0: I believe the electricity knows if they're needed for next week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And oh, uh, what a surprise! The monsters have turned on their human ally, and they're going to do her in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? That's never explained, either. No, I don't think we. I don't think we care at this point, do we? No, like, point, oh.
1: None of them are wearing eye patches, so they should have all forgotten the silence anyway.
0: So are we saying this is just a series of scenes yeah, without any logic or thought at all? Just a series of images it's, and twists and turns designed to make you sit there and, and just watch the moment?
1: Yeah, and not actually think about what's going on. As strange that Rory still has his on and is seemingly in perfect control because that's what the plot requires um yeah i don't buy that bit i'm afraid
0: oh we're still doing this bit as well where amy's gonna fall for him again yeah <laughs> Like jesus christ do you know, and i actually do think they had a nice um exit in the god complex and we really didn't need to see him again
1: um yeah i'd say kind of the, there's there are a few episodes of smith that i genuinely like and the God Complex is one of them. A, because I think it's a nice, simple story told very well, very visually. And B, because it actually gives a genuinely decent closure to...
0: Moffat has got a hard-on right now. Amy's got a submachine gun. Uh, She's yeah. blasting away at the monsters. Her hair looks fabulous. Yeah. Um. It's just... Oh, and that this I find unforgivable. I've had many arguments with people about this scene where she murders Madame Kavarian hmm. without consequence. When did we ever get to a point where where this was okay? Like, it wasn't okay when Leela did it. That was always but, an but, issue.
1: The one that's always bugged me is the Reboss operation where the doctor basically hands the Grafkin to the bomb. Counts down to the detonation and then laughs. That to me is a really freaking awful bit. But well,
0: uh, I think the way this is this is uh, presented yeah. is a oh, moment it's... Of triumph that she's killed this woman. Yeah, it's it's vengeance. It's not Doctor Who. It's really kind of yeah. And oh,
1: and here's the nice James Bond start.
0: Yeah, with the Colin Baker line. Oh, perhaps we'll have yeah. a drink sometime. Very strange. Oh. Now, I did say that you can see the money on the screen, but I think the green on top of this pyramid looks terrible. It's really
1: weird that um, there's a bit in the 11th hour where the green screen is absolutely shockingly awful. It's just nice that they kind of pay tribute to that with this particular scene. Why do they have to get married? I don't know. I don't I, think Stephen Moffat knows. No, it's just because basically, um, you know, Benice Summerfield banged the Doctor. Iris Wildtime wants to bang the Doctor. So therefore, to to do one-upmanship, on he has to have a companion marry the Doctor. yeah,
0: well, yeah but, And then the Doctor acknowledged that he is she is his wife and that she had a profound impact on his life, the most important woman he's ever known, etc. Well, until Clara came along. But yeah, she was the most important woman he'd ever known.
1: Ever known yeah. Um, Moffat, allegedly in one interview allegedly because there is some dispute about they said the kind of you know between wives he banged his way around women like a mechanical digger kind of thing and you feel like that's being reflected on screen basically he just needs this never-ending stream of
0: women for him to kind of write out of his system you know it makes me feel sorry for bill you know because she's never acknowledged as the most important woman he had no. he just blew
1: a hole in her and as such, she's probably the most realistic and best companion of the entire Stephen Moffat era. She, she is just is, yeah. a companion. She's not an important plot line. She's not this mystery to be solved. She's someone who likes traveling with the doctor. And that works. Wonderful.
0: Was- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I but I do think as well that she did have some inconsistent writing that year, but the actress smoothed it over. Oh, she was so good. Yeah. And yeah,
1: this kind of marriage business is just shit. Sorry, I I don't see the reason for it, other than it's almost like a bootstrap paradox. The doctor marries her because he knows
0: that the doctor marries her. Yeah. Oh. Love. yeah The greatest love story ever told. <laughs> <The greatest laughs> story, I do wonder like because there is an obsession with family. In the Stephen Moffat era, especially in the Matt Smith era, and there's a lot of families in there. Is is this sort of an obsession to give the Doctor a family, a wife,
1: again, it's and a one children? Up, it's a one-upmanship on Russell T. Davis, who had no.
0: the dysfunctional family type that stuff. Was a proper family though. They they yeah. went at each other, hammer and tongs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they did ridiculous things. They annoyed each other. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what? What? Why? What? Oh
1: God! Yeah. And this device apparently is signalling out to the rest of the universe that the Doctor needs help because the rest of the universe isn't affected by history all happening at once.
0: Uh, it's just like what? How? Why? What? My brain has zoned out at this point so I just didn't <laughs> care. I was just sort of nodding and going stuff is happening, that's fine. Yeah, basically
1: Moffat <laughs> is trying to write um, um, he's trying to write a romance scene and failing miserably.
0: Where did this one poll in that Matt Smith poll? Oh, I can't remember. Recently. I, remember. I actually think it was quite low, this one. I don't think it's um, to too well.
1: I didn't think to check that, but I have got some other data about this story, which is really damning.
0: Oh, fabulous. Well, we'll get that at the end, shall yeah. we? Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, trust me. When I do a hatchet job, I
0: do <laughs> hatchet job. Uh, <laughs> oh, great. I'm going to get some more stories you don't like. If this is <laughs> the result. I'm going to surprise you with the
1: next one we're doing,
0: though. <laughs> There's, um, we'll, we'll get there, there's this curious obsession, and I know David started this, with mm. the Doctor in Doctor Who now, isn't there, at this point in the show? Yeah. We never was like that in the classic series, was it?
1: We just accepted the fact that he was a time traveller. Um, I mean, again, it's almost like a,
0: a, a leftover from the Cardinal master plan. Why, when they snog, does time go back to normal?
1: It's, it's the physical contact remember the arm bit earlier where yeah, he grabbed... why does that happen no idea it's magic but it's also interesting that kind of he grabbed her arm so it wasn't even touching riversong it was touching her coat and presumably here it's touching her lipstick right the big funeral pyre you know presumably at the end of day of the moon they checked that pyre to make sure there were no cells left unburnt because of Rivers' instruction about it and everything. Oh, the cars on the balloons disappearing and the pterodactyls disappearing.
0: Oh, the um, the Earth went back to exactly how it was before all this madness occurred. There was no changes whatsoever. No. And what's the point of to, that then? What was the point
1: about, of it? Oh, we're about to find out. There was no point to this whole season. Oh, go on, tell me. Well, when, when, when we get to it, I will point it out because. I screamed at the television set when it happened first time around because it instantly stood out to me as Moffat just writing Series 6 out of history. Go on. But
0: no, We will we'll get to it. Um, this was the one time, you know, where I actually felt the three of them were portrayed as a family, just yeah. sitting around in a garden having a drink. Yeah. And you'll notice
1: River is not... Trying to be sassy, she's not trying to be emotional. Emot- you know, it's the one time in the Moffat era where I actually can believe that she is some kind of person. Yeah, I don't buy her in any other Moffat era episode other than this one scene. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? Because she's in a lot of it. Yeah, um, and she's also dangling plot thread of the Moffat era. Because in the name of the doctor, she somehow magically reappears as that ghost in the <laughs> seance scene. Clara says,
0: How are you here? She goes, spoilers, and we never find out. He just can't let her go, can uh, he? It's the hex thing in, in Big Finish. Yeah. They just can't let people go when they should let them go. Yeah.
1: And they haven't got the courage to kill people off when they
0: should kill people off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of
1: this is, that. you know, this is a a believable scene because there's no overacting there's no overwrought stuff it's quite charming and the bit in a moment is the bit that i do believe when when you see amy and um, river hugging and bouncing up and down with joy that bit i can believe that's the only bit in the whole of the bloody thing
0: have that exact same problem with the good man goes to war right so a load of sound and fury signify nothing and then you get that one scene where the doctor amy and rory are all reunited and they're cracking jokes and they're hugging and i'm like yeah i just wanted an episode of this let's just have yeah. more of this you know yeah it's it's kind of we don't want the big
1: pompous stuff we don't want the the sass we don't want the kind of the we just want decent dialogue decent characters, quietness oh, Rory coming back, that lovely home
0: sign. I, do you know what? I genuinely think the majority of fans were just exhausted by the end of this season. Exhausted of this bullshit. Yeah. Not everybody. I know. I've spoken to people, Dylan Reeves, people that absolutely loved it and found this a satisfying ending. But I think the majority were like, okay, thank God that's over. Let's start the next season.
1: Yeah. And actually, th- that was the only reason I tuned into Series 7 because I thought they have advertising it as movie of the week kind of thing thank god they're doing something different i mean it was still not very good but at least it wasn't
0: some ridiculously big plot arc that didn't work you've got the delights of the doctor the widow and the wardrobe next
1: yes which is the in my top three cures for insomnia right listen very carefully to this following scene i'm even gonna turn it up so i can hear it properly Pick a one. right so we're back to to dorium yeah right okay so Dorium now knows that
0: the Doctor has survived, because Dorian... Right. How could you have possibly have escaped, he says. Right, okay. Okay,
1: so now we get the big reveal that ah, oh, what a surprise, that whole Tesselector thing that you kind of built up so massively earlier in the episode, turns out to be the thing that is the shock twist. Oh, for for um, and to be honest, if I'm in a giant metal robot by the way, which is then set on fire... I'm going to want a sauna suit. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So this is, this, right. He, this, there's this kind of whole get out clause bit. That's fine. Let them all think you're dead. No, he doesn't do that at all. We'll get to that in a minute. Right. Step back into the shadows, except for creating an- anachronisms that Unit can detect for fuck's sake right It's uh, right all still waiting for you how does dorium know there's stuff still waiting for you if dorium thought that the doctor died on lake bloody silencio well it's like the master with his backup plans just in case hey, so, so basically what it's essentially saying is dorium Knew there was a whole load of stuff after Lake Silencio, but just decided to keep very quiet about it and pretend that the doctor was going to die. Yeah. Oh, and this, and say the reason we get this whole wretched Doctor Who scene is to stop you thinking about the fact he's just named Doc trendsalore and
0: all that kind of crap, um, to try and distract you from, yeah. Do you know what irritated me so much about that last scene was like we've just had this whole season of what I call like trailer bait, you know, mm, um, yeah. you know the Doctor's gonna die and all of this, and then he's already doing it with the next season <laughs> at the end yeah, yeah. of this season. I'm like, no, just give it a fucking rest. I and don't mind after... I don't need more mysterious companions. I just want <laughs> you to tell a story.
1: So after. The end of A Good Man Goes to War, we had that coming soon trailer single frame shot thing of the skeletal Dr. Hand holding the sonic screwdriver.
0: Yeah. Um what was all that about? Because that never happened. Yeah. Well, that voice that was on the scanner screen saying silence will fall, that was never explained.
1: I mean, again, there's right
0: now. First question for you. Yeah, I'll go on. What is the
1: name of the big creature that is based on the scream?
0: What is the name of the big creature that's yeah, shoots based... the, the electricity
1: wait, from its fingers, and people forget when they see it?
0: It's the silence.
1: How do you spell that?
0: S I L E N C E.
1: Except that, um, a in the credits, it's spelled the silent, s i l e n t. Okay. Right. So in the brilliant book 2012, the creature on page one four six is named as the silent, s i l e n t s. Uh huh. Um, but in the doctor in the encyclopedia one of the many books that he wrote over and over again, the creature is referred to as The Silence, S-I-L-E-N-C-E. Yeah. And then in the Doctor Who character encyclopedia... God, what's it called in that? uh, It is officially... uh, Hold on, what's the page? It is The Silence, S-I-L-E-N-C-E, yeah and then back in doctor who the visual dictionary volume you know version 4 or whatever the creature is back to being called the silent and the religious order is the order of the Silents. they cannot make up their mind even after they broadcast the sodding episode what
0: those creatures are actually called i think that's indicative of what's on the screen Though, and I I don't think there is anybody uh, that has any power above Stephen Moffat that is casting an eye over this with any degree of sort of accuracy or detail and getting this stuff right.
1: Yeah, and this is one of my major issues with the Stephen Moffat era. You know, nothing is being double checked by anyone,
0: Um, or they try. They get fired. They get erased yeah, yeah. from Doctor Who, like Carolyn Skinner.
1: I I know, kind of, you know, we talk a lot about um, series one of Doctor Who having um, trouble behind the scenes, you know, with with Eccleston not being happy with more than one person who is not necessarily a nice person due to things that have been revealed about them since, you know. I I want to know what the hell is going on
0: during series five and six, though. You'll never know. I, no. I don't think i will ever be told. Because I'm going to take. I want to go back
1: to a series five episode now, okay? Because this is why I asked the question about what the creature was called. What? Okay, so we've already mentioned that in the eleventh hour, prisoner zero says the pandorica opens silence will fall mm-hmm. and then in vampires of venice at the very end we get that scene where silence literally falls and it's like what uh, well, well, that's never explained earlier on we get the the line of dialogue, dialogue. There were cracks, plural. Some were tiny, some were as big as the sky. Through some we saw worlds and people, and through others we saw silence and the end of all things. I get the feeling that basically Moffat is kind of writing two different story arcs, and it's not till he gets to series six that he actually decides which one he wants to go with. You know, because, as I said, there is that literal silence that falls at the end of vampires of venice which is never ever explained
0: do you know what i think i think he is creating moments that he thinks are good moments and he's not joining the dots
1: and i mean that whole crack thing the nature of the crack varies from story to story no one seemed to sit down with all, th- all 12 or 13 episodes, however many it was, to check that there was consistency. And again, with the whole of series six, again, this one big story arc thing, I don't feel as though there was anyone who was courageous enough to say to Stephen Moffat. Right, we're going to sit down and we're going to make sure that this jigsaw actually fits together. You know, Russell T. Davis winged four years basically. I mean, he's freely admitted the Bad Wolf was made up as it went along, and kind of it was only miraculous that it, there was a reference to it in the Doctor Dances and the Empty Child. But it's it's two words. That yeah. word is simple. Now the other it's reason the it's a name. It's simple. You know, the other reason why kind of I'm really confused. Going back to Bad Wolf. In those first six Ninth Doctor novels, five of them reference Bad Wolf. The comic strips reference Bad Wolf. You get the feel that Russell T. Davis is overseeing everything to make sure that what you get on the TV ties in with what's presented in the comics, ties in with what's given in the books, you get the feel that Russell T. Davis wants to create this whole Doctor Who oh,
0: universe. universe. Yeah.
1: Right. And then along comes Stephen Moffat, who says, Oh, am I supposed to do this? Bugger this. Bearing in mind that kind of, you know, at the height of you know, tenants we were getting nine novels a year and we got the darksmith legacy and we got the fact files and we got the choose your own adventure books and we got the activity books and we got the story books and we got really detailed annuals
0: and we got the sarah jane adventures and and torchwood in 2012
1: and 2016 there were no 11th doctor regular novels published In 2013, 14, 15, and 17, we got three books a year. We never had such little output. The last three books in 2017 weren't even done as audiobooks.
0: Are you suggesting that Stephen Moffat is not as adept a showrunner as Russell T. Davis?
1: I'm saying that he took everything that Russell T. Davis had done and pissed on it from a great height and then threw it out the window after having set it alight. And you look at the ratings,
0: okay? It's going to be contentious because everyone's got an opinion on the fucking ah, ratings. Right. I've heard arguments this yeah. week that have gone on for
1: days. And I'm going to do something really nasty. I'm going to throw a second set of numbers into the mix to really piss those people off. Go on, then. <laughs> Because, okay, ratings, Stolen Earth, Journey's End. I mean, Journey's End got 10.57 million, Okay. Um, the Pandorica opens and Big Bang oh god we're down to well Pandorica opens was six was 7.6 million. Big Bang was 6.7 million. Okay. And they were 10th in that week's charts whereas Stolen Earth and Journey's End were basically number
0: one. Now I know I accept that comparison. 10th is still pretty good.
1: Right. You look then how we're doing in Series 6. Oh, I'm scared. Girl Who Waited, 7.6 million, 13th. God Complex, 6.77 million, 18th. Closing Time, 6.93, 20th. Season finale, we managed, it was a season finale, so you expect the ratings to go up, but they went up to 6.67 million and became 16th.
0: You know, I mean, I, I have heard the argument though that the way people were watching television, right. it was mutating at this okay. point. And I've heard this argument as well so
1: I've got my backup argument. Go on. And I've taken these numbers from the complete history. I don't think they can be disputed because as has been the case right the way through television history, you got the audience appreciation index thingy.
0: Yeah. It's only a small fraction of the audience that give that, though, right? But it is how it's gauged, yes. It is how it's gauged, yeah. So, you know, it is
1: a measure of comparison. Um, Stolen Earth and Journey's End got 91 out of 100.
0: Is that the highest the show ever got? Pretty much, yeah.
1: Um, Pandorica Opens and Big Bang got 88 and 89.
0: That's high. That's high. Yeah. But it's lower.
1: Yeah. Wed- Wedding of Riversong got 86. We're going down. By the time we get to the Doctor Falls, we're down to 83.
0: Right. I mean, I do think in the Whitaker era, it fell down to sort of 70. Um, I can't. I can't. can't the top wasn't covered by the
1: complete history.
0: Right. OK. I,
1: I know that actually the Whitaker it varied massively. Doctor Fo- uh, w- World Enough and Time got 5 million viewers, and came 21st in the charts. You know, um... Oh, interest was hemorrhaging, yes. yeah, Because yeah. basically, yeah. Moffat has killed off all the subsidiary stuff that kept it going. Russell T. Davis knew there was going to be that year where there were only going to be specials. He made damn sure we got Torchwood, we got Sarah Jane, and we got Radio 7.
0: Yeah. Moffat he it in the public consciousness
1: And more importantly as well He knew that it was a family thing So he wrote Doctor Who For family to watch Made sure there were books That were aimed at older readers Books that were aimed at Kind of early teens We even you know, we had the quick range, re, range Quick oh, range, range. Yeah. yeah
0: Which Moffat stopped after two books Shame they sold I was working for Gardner's Books for mm. me they sold in their droves so it's quickly. This is why
1: I knew this is why I knew you why I thought I could bring this up with you because I knew you've got the the kind of you know various bits. Basically, you know you look at kind of the books and stuff that Moffat produces. I'm serious on my shelf there's the RTD version of the visual dictionary and then there's three further re-releases all done through the the Moffat years, two of which I think are actually identical just with different covers. Um, you had those wonderful six Justin Richards books, Spaceships and Villains, so Monsters and Villains, Spaceships and Space Stations, Aliens and Enemies. And all Moffat did was basically just churn out that type of book over and over again. There, I was, mean,
0: there, there is an audience for those types of <laughs> Doctor
1: Also, RTD, you had the TARDIS uh, model making kit, you had the Dalek. 3d dalek kit you had time and space those wonderful beautiful pop-up books
0: i just i i i agree with everything you're saying i don't think comparing any showrunner to ross t davis is very fair because i don't no. think there'll be anyone that understands the audience or oh, the industry of television right. or you know he is the whole package
1: i'm gonna actually say that Chris Chibnall did his damnedest because when Chris Chibnall came back, you got the novels. You then got um, the Secret of Vault 13 and the Maze of Doom, which are aimed at slightly older. You got those Teen Tardis books, which were aimed at the much younger. You know, there was this feeling that actually he was trying to get the foot back into kind of the different eras of the fandom. Well, but it's nothing started... compared to what's coming. Well, I mean, you know, Russ I, I know that Russell series is well, we don't actually know because we've got three target novels coming out which are the target novelizations of the three specials.
0: Um uh, uh, from what I know, yeah, it's going to be huge and it's going to be mm. bigger <laughs> than even, <laughs> even it was back yeah. in the day. But
1: I but I'm I'm wondering what the shooty era is going to bring Will we return to nine novels a year? Will we return? So. To, yeah. I mean, there's this talk of the unit spin-off series, but that's gone very, very quiet. There's been no kind of gossip about that. There's been no sighting or anything of filming for that.
0: In terms of spin-offs, I, uh, from what I understand, without giving anything away, uh, there's g- quite a lot coming. Yeah. And
1: so, you know, it's what really we needed during the Moffat era just sort of to keep it going. To keep to, it going. At the Fine. You're gonna take a couple of you know two years off because you've got to do Sherlock. Oh god, that was awful. Um, you know, I hated Sherlock with a passion even more than I hated some of his Doctor Who. But do something to keep it going, don't suddenly put a break on all the novels. The novels, by the way, um, if you look at the word counts of them, seven out of the ten shortest novels are from the Stephen Moffat era. You know. He made them look nice and big. He made them taller, but reduced the word count. So,
0: okay, I want to, I want to, because you know you've sort of covered him as a writer, as a showrunner, as the the industry maker, and all of this, the pillager, everything. Yeah. So, do you think he's without talent?
1: Right. I think he is very good at writing certain things. And I think if he writes one episode and they give him plenty of time to write it, he can write good doctor who stories.
0: Give me an example.
1: I actually thought the empty child and the doctor dances was a superb two parter. Um, I really thought that this kind of, you know, the, the, the whole, I mean the gas, Oh God, that, that, He's one of the few times that Moffat has creeped me out, the gas mask coming out of Richard Wilson's face. right? isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, he can create really good dialogue. Are you my mummy? That will live on in Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Are there any lines from the Moffat era that have resonated the same way as Are You My Mummy? Oh,
0: I don't think so, No. No. In Doctor Actually, Who fans, but not in public consciousness. No. And I
1: say, I think Moffat can write. I don't think he can write story arcs.
0: No, I don't
1: either. Yeah. And I think if he wrote episodes, you know, they can be really good. I don't think he's anywhere near as good a writer as Russell T. Davis. Um, I don't think he is anywhere near as good as he thinks he is. I get the impression that Moffat thinks he is God.
0: I mean, I, I talked to Sobey Hado, and he says actually he's quite self facing, and it's not there in his work. because I He might after. be as a person, but when, you
1: know, I've never met the guy, you know, just going by the interviews and the way he ran Doctor Who for what was it, six years or six or seven years?
0: No, he's not a showrunner. Quantify it, then. Give me three specific things about his writing that doesn't work. Arcs. Okay.
1: He cannot link more than two episodes together. Okay. That's one. Um, I do not like the companions he created. The, sorry, I do not like the women he created. I think Rory was a godsend. If Rory hadn't been in series five... I think it would have been an abysmal series, yeah.
0: You acknowledge that's not a popular opinion though.
1: Okay, it's my opinion.
0: <laughs> that's fair um, no. um I've just I've never heard anyone say that.
1: Anyone. Yeah, i I really you know. And the one thing that I think Moffat needed to step away from is time travel. Yeah, Because he cannot write a coherent time paradox type story. Jonathan Morris can. Jacqueline Rayner can. Most of the Big Finnish writers can. You know, um, there's a huge canon of people who through, the, through 50, 60 years of Doctor Who showed that they could write a story where time was changed. Louis or... Marx! Yeah, I mean, Day of the Daleks... It's a fascinating one to try and dissect. Day of the Daleks opens up so many questions. I mean, it really is um, uh, an amazingly awkward it one.
0: It's simple as well. You and know?
1: Yeah, that is what Moffat doesn't realise. If you're going to try and write a time paradox story, you, you know, you've got to keep it fairly simple because as soon as you try and overcomplicate it, everything collapses in on itself and I say I so I don't like his arcs I don't like what he tries to do with time travel I don't think he's a good enough writer to do time travel even Russell T Davies got it wrong in turn left by the way you know um turn left is a fantastic emotional episode but there's a couple of massive plot holes in it to do with the changing of
0: time um I don't care about the time travel because that episode just breaks my heart. I blubbed my eyes out during that one. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's only when I actually physically stop and make myself think about it. That the holes appear. Whereas with these, they appeared as I was watching
0: them. I want to, I want to sort of, so you've given me those three reasons and I actually agree with all three of them. Uh, I, I mean, I think I rate him more than you. I, yeah. I About half of his output I really like, and about half of it I can't stand. Um, do you understand why other people rate his era? Because he does have his fans. I think it's
1: because my brain actually analyzes it. Um, I have some very good friends. Um, hello, Tony. I don't know if Tony listens to this, but hello, Tony, um, who has routinely bitch slapped me. For overanalyzing Doctor Who. And he's right to do so, you know. Um, he says, just, you know, try and turn your brain off and watch it. You know, and I wish I could. I really wish I could because I feel that if I could, I would enjoy Moffat's era a lot more.
0: Well, please don't tell me your suggestion that everybody that enjoys this era is brainless.
1: No, but I'm saying that kind of... I'm sorry, I'm being leading now. They don't have the, they don't have a brain that by default tries to overanalyze, and that's my problem, um, because most of Russell T. Davis' era and Chris Chibnall's era were more straightforward stories. There wasn't stuff to overanalyze in them, and so I could really bloody enjoy them. Yeah, because Moffat tries to write these ridiculously complicated jigsaw murder time me why me mystery things. And is obsessed with a particular type of woman, you know. I just don't get on with them.
0: Oh, I've got to wonder, you know, if he didn't have some head teacher or something like that when he was younger, you know, of a certain mould, the linden <laughs> type that he's been put. Who, d-
1: who him. disciplined <laughs> him, probably? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. with a massive gun.
0: <laughs> yeah, um I, I,
1: I do wonder what trauma occurred to him when he was younger. Because yes, an awful lot of the female characters he writes are of a very specific type. Um, and that actually is against him because it means that a lot of his work, work becomes very
0: repetitive. Yeah, I agree. Well, look, mm-hmm. we, we are going to have to try and dig deep. Oh, and, I will and, find And mind. find three reasons each. However, before we do that, do you have anything else to cover on The Wedding of Song? Um,
1: it it should have been the end of Wither. With, 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 uh, it should have been the last River Song story. That should have been it. Um, admittedly, I like the husbands of River Song. I think it is a very funny episode. I think the pre credits, the line that Capaldi delivers just before the the theme music, I'm gonna need a bigger flow chart. Before a bigger spreadsheet had me in bloody hysterics, yeah, because that's you, yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I would have been very happy if this had been the, the end of River Song,
0: um, because it kind of it, we would have been spared so much else. We well. said it earlier, didn't we? The law of diminishing returns, you get yeah, this character back, you gotta do new and interesting things. Of uh, if you yeah. do not doing that, it's just going to get exhausting, um. And I can
1: really see the fatigue setting in with Moffat. I can see that he's already feeling tired. I can see, or to me rather, because I can't see him physically, I feel as though he's realized he's taken on too much. And the last comment I will make is if I could go back in time, I would show him kind of like the numbers and what's going to happen to doctor who over the next four years of his time on it that he's not going to have the energy that he's going to abandon so much that was built up he's going to kind of he's going to see the audience appreciation index fall um you know and say look you need to get someone else on board someone fresh because an awful lot of the people he relies on, I think, are too much of a yes-man type of person. And anyone who isn't the yes-man, he gets rid of.
0: Well, the sad truth is, as well, is in Series 7, he as good as mi- admits this in Doctor Who magazine, that the weight of the monster that he had created in the previous, yeah. it gave him a breakdown. He had a yeah. breakdown series seven and, and he was trying to juggle two shows and he had the expectation of the 50th coming up and he said that year i just wasn't at my best i was struggling in my personal life you know and all this stuff was going, and it's kind of sad it is i mean i've, I've
1: i do think that if he had been sensible and said i need help and people who know me will know how difficult i have found it in the past to say i need help you know, I've, I've, I'm terrible at it. Men in general are really bad at it. But this was, you know, someone at the BBC should have told him. And they shouldn't have taken no for an answer. That, I think, is... I'm going to say that the blame for this lies with the BBC. I'm not going to blame Moffat. I'm going to blame the BBC for not turning around and saying, we're going to do your performance review. And we're going to make changes on the outcome of it.
0: Had they done that, who knows? Because you had the trio in Russell's time of him, Julie Gardner and Phil Collinson. And you hear on the special features, they battled out plot points. They battled out... How scenes were directed, how it was edited, and sometimes Russell got his way, and sometimes Julie and got away, got and sometimes Phil got his way. But in work. the end, they battled to a point that they were happy enough. Yeah.
1: Whereas Moffat took it all on himself, and the show suffered. Well,
0: on that note, <laughs> <laughs> need three good things each. <laughs> let's, let's do three, and I think I could, I can do it as well. Actually. Yeah, I know we can. I can do three good things. Yeah. Cool. go on Ed, you go first
1: I'm going to nick one from me, I'm going to say that because I've said so much about him, I've only said one even remotely cheeky thing about him Arthur Darville, you are the lifesaver of the first two and a half years of the Moffat era your Rory performance was amazing Rory just is just this wonderful yeah he's the patsy, he's the stooge and he does it so well and he is a perfect audience point of view so Rory is my first one.
0: I am going to steal something that my guest said earlier in the week when <laughs> a another story that both me and the guest did not like said but I think is relevant that was relevant to the classic series mm-hmm. it's now relevant to the new series. I think this is the perfect education of how not to do the new series of Doctor Who and <laughs> let's never ever do this again it exists purely as a cautionary warning of what not to do
1: yeah absolutely um my second one sorry i'm going to nick it again because i'm getting stop I'm, it <laughs> um kudos to the visual effects department for saying if this is what we want if this is what he wants we are going to give it to him and it is going to look bloody fantastic very little in that episode makes sense
0: but it looks brilliant. It really does, yeah. I think if you have a lobotomy, you know, you can perfectly, enjoyably watch The Wedding of River Song. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at the pretty pictures, you know? It's like watching Paul. Yeah. A, a, a friend of mine who shall remain
1: nameless said the only reason he ever watched Strictly Come Dancing... Was because he took drugs before it, and it was pretty pictures and nice flashy colours. Like, can I?
0: Oh, with Ash on there, I can understand entirely. Um, okay, my second thing is going to be. Fuck me, you chose the special effects, and I was going to go there. Um, God, this is hard because it is my least favourite. Okay, I'm going to say. I think they are horrendously characterized in this, but Matt Smith, Karen Gillan, Arthur Darville, when they are together, have a very natural chemistry which transcends the material.
1: Yeah. And I would happily agree with that.
0: These are all very backward compliments, but. No,
1: no I, I would happily agree with that because I think kind of there is a spark between the three of them. And when they are on screen together, you can see them bouncing off each other and it lifts that material. Um, so my third one is the garden scene at the end, which I actually thought was really lovely. An example of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's people who clearly like working with each other, who are given gentler, less bombastic, kind of toned down, but very natural sounding dialogue And dear God, it works magnificently. And that scene where you see Amy dancing around the garden, it's just like, yeah,
0: I believe that. I actually believe that. The same thing happens in the very next episode. You get an hour of cloying saccharine material about Mother Earth and family and lemonade taps. And then you get this gorgeous scene at the end where he visits them at home. The He goes for Christmas dinner with Amy and Rory. And I'm like... Well, where's this come from? <laughs> um, well, my third thing then is, uh, do you know what? I'm going to make it a hat trick of backhanded compliments. <laughs> my third thing is, series six is finally
1: over. So basically, you're saying the closing credits. <laughs> oh, it's just
0: uh, the it, the wedding of River Song exists purely yeah. to bring this agonising year of Doctor Who to an end, and yeah. thank God it's over. Yes. <laughs> Oh, dear. Do we sound like a pair of entitled
1: fans? (laughs) Because the next the next one we're going to do, apparently, is The Invisible Enemy. Oh, marvellous. And I adore it. And I am going to again, I've already been thinking about this. I'm going to say something that is going to piss certain fans off. And I'm not going to say what it is yet, but I've I've realized that kind of it's a really important story for the Virgin New Adventures.
0: Well, yeah, it's going inside the doctor's head. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> do a lot of that. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you said that in our next commentary, you're <laughs> going to piss off a lot of listeners because I feel as if you may have done a bit of digging this, but this episode as well. Um, but do you know what? No, no, no. And that's the thing about this bloody podcast. It's your opinion, yeah. and and that's one. There thing. are
1: people who knock me for liking certain classic stories, and you and I grew up. But in the eighties and nineties when we had the Howers Stammers Walker books telling us what we should think about certain stories. And this is our generation's chance. Yes. To turn around and say, We now have our own publishing platform. We are you know, we are gonna actually redress the balance.
0: And the the, so- the, the debate, you know, yeah. there. It is riveting because and, so yeah. many of those preconceptions are being challenged,
1: and I will happily accept anyone on Twitter messaging me to say you are wrong about this. If someone can tell me why I'm wrong, then please do. please tell me where I've gone wrong. And you know,
0: well, that's the other thing though, is <laughs> is anyone who comes onto this or any podcast, <laughs> It is a subjective opinion, yeah. and so people can tell you till you're blue in the face that you're wrong. But it's your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But say
1: if someone can present me with facts, if someone can
0: present me with explanations that
1: appeared on screen that aren't kind of head canony type things, please do because I, I know there are people out there who love the the Stephen Moffat era. It just does not gel with me. I want it to. I want it to be an era that actually I can revisit and be suddenly surprised by, rather than revisiting it with a sense of trepidation every time I look at the discs on the shelf.
0: Well, can I can I finish it by saying a massive thank you to you because uh, I do believe that people think I've gone a bit soft on this era because I keep inviting on handsome, you know, charismatic, intelligent people that adore it, and you know, sometimes they sway me. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I'm I'm a whole firm in my opinion. Mm. Um, but do you know what this this era doesn't shine with me either. No. And to have had somebody come on with this level of smarts uh, basically giving me a ton of confirmation bias.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I, I probably it, did go out of my way to find the negatives, but yeah, we, you know, I, it, it's how I remembered the story, so it's kind of
0: how it came out. Yeah, I think this is going to go down as a of a hugely memorable episode of Hamster, uh, as all yours are. Um, but no, from my heart, thank you very much. Absolutely. Good pleasure a joy and i'll see you in the doctor's brain yes